Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and hello to the Cleveland Brown fans. My name is Patricia Traina, and I am the host of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. And I'm joined by Jeff Lloyd, who... You Brown fans know as the host of the Locked on Browns podcast, and we are here with a crossover show, the first of uh, eight that we'll be doing, not Jeff and I, but here on the Locked on uh, NFL Network, the first of eight that we'll be doing to crossover with some to give you. Uh, bring you up to date on the opponents and all the good stuff that uh, has happened since free agency, the draft. And this podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, which is one of the best tasting protein bars I have ever had the opportunity to try. And right now, Built Bar is offering a special offer for the Locked On podcast listeners. We'll tell you about that coming up. But uh, my friend, Jeff, how are you? We're good. We're good. Um, you know, as we get into May here, um, you know, hopefully the weather's getting nicer. Um, everybody just listen to what your state legislation is. Listen to what they're telling you. I understand the juices are flowing. Everybody wants to get back to their normal life here, but we want to get back to 100%. And the last thing we want is to get, you know, basically shut down more here. Be smart. Be safe. Uh, listen to the Lockdown Podcast Network. Listen to Lockdown Giants. Listen to Lockdown Browns here. And, you know, we're thankful, you know, for Built Bar here, uh, for being a sponsor, a uh, new sponsor here at the Lockdown Podcast Network. Um, I'm kind of enjoying the mint brownie delight. I, I do like the fact that it's chocolate and it, it, it tastes more like a candy bar than it does a protein bar. I don't go to the gym, so protein bars aren't my thing, but these are actually pretty tasty. They are. And, and that happens to be my favorite flavor as well. So I want to thank the folks at Built Bar for sending that over to us. So anyway, uh, folks, we have uh, on today's show, we're going to break it down into three segments. And what we're going to do is first, we're going to talk about free agency, what the Giants and the Browns have done in free agency. Then we're going to talk about the draft in segment two, what each team has done. And then we're going to wrap it up in segment three with, with a look at the matchups when the two teams, uh, eventually meet and you know assuming we have a 2020 season uh the two teams are on each other's schedule so we'll talk about those matchups so let's kick it off with free agency and jeff i'm going to start with you uh, tell us about um the key free agents gained and lost by the browns i don't know of what they lost i mean as far as what they lost it was the linebacker position but it's a different regime here with the browns um, Joe Schobert, Christian Kirksey, these were diehards in some really trying times here for over the last couple of years for the Cleveland Browns. This new regime, they don't put a lot of emphasis on the linebacker position. At least it has not been shown that way through, you know, their actions, whether it was free agency, whether it was the drafts, and we'll get to the draft guys here in a minute. Um, they did bring in a linebacker in free agency, obviously former giant, as you know, your listeners will know, Patricia, um, BJ Goodson. Um, limited player, um, you know, early down player. He's not a guy that excels in the nickel dime situations. But what this front office did is they went out and established needs. They knew with pick 10 overall, they were going to be able to get a tackle. They needed two through this cycle. So Jack Conklin was available. There were some rumors the Browns were interested, and we didn't really think it was going to come to fruition. They went after it hard. They went after Jack Conklin hard. They hit it with a deal, which on its surface could be one year, it could be three years. So he could be on the market possibly again next offseason. He could be on the market again at 28 years old. 
again. So it, it, within three years, and they got him. They got him for a nice chunk of change. This this regime, the, the the offensive system that Kevin Stefanski is going to run. They love the wide zone. They love to run the ball. They like uh, their offensive linemen who are agile, who can move. Chad Conklin was a really really nice get. And in that same day, a couple, you know, about 20 minutes earlier, they were able to nab the top tight end in the market, two tight ends. This is a big part of this. Um, they play, uh, Kevin Stefanski's offense last year had two tight ends on the field in Minnesota more than anybody else did. They had the move tight end. They didn't have the solid inline blocking tight end. Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper was essentially the only guy on the free agent market who fit this bill. They went out. They got him. Yes, they had to make him the highest paid tight end as far as you know contract terms and you know, verbiage of the contract. But they were able to get that done. They put those two to bed early, and that was really, really impressive. After that, they went chasing after young players coming off of first contracts, um, whether it was an Andrew Billings as a defensive tackle, um, like I mentioned, B.J. Goodson at, at the linebacker position, Carl Joseph, a safety they desperately need. They were This team had eight safeties last season. When they started the offseason, they essentially had two. So they went out and they got Carl Joseph, former first-round pick for, um, at the time, the Oakland Raiders. Carl Joseph can kind of do everything from the safety position. And this is what Joe Woods, new defensive coordinator, wants. He wants defensive back versatility. He wants the quarterback to not know what's coming. He wants defensive backs lined up, and anything can change once the ball is snapped. You get that with a guy like Carl Joseph. Um, with the Minnesota ties, obviously, uh, Andrew Sadejo is a guy that they were familiar with. They bring him in here, granted a little bit older at 32 years old. Um, he's gotten better as he's gotten older in the NFL, more comfortable as the player he is. Um, he can play some traditional free safety stuff. He's usually, you know, better as far as, you know, the over the top guy at a tight end coming down the scene with a linebacker underneath. That was a good get. They needed a nickel cornerback. They brought in Kevin Johnson. Kevin Johnson, former first-round pick for the Houston Texans. It didn't go well in Houston. Rebounded. Played every game last year for the Buffalo Bills. Health was always the question for his time in Houston. They were able to get a guy like this in the fold. Um, Kevin Johnson was a guy I loved during his draft process. Um, he's a little bit older than what they struck you know, at 20, uh, 28 years old. But as a nickel cornerback and a guy with experience, he was a guy they needed. So they were able to basically established their needs. And the best thing about this is, is not only did they figure out what their needs were, they went after them hard, not only in free agency, then they doubled back. And we'll get to this, like I said, in the draft as well. They knew what they needed to be successful. They knew where the biggest areas of need were, and they hit it, and they hit it really, really hard. Sounds like they were very busy. And, you know, the Browns coming in with a new coaching staff, Kevin Stefanski, much like the Giants, who have a new coaching staff in Joe Judge. Both guys, uh, first-time head coaches, I believe, in the NFL. And, uh, you know, just interesting enough, I, I, I thought the Browns' moves, especially to address the offensive line, that was a big problem for them um, last year. You know, I think Baker Mayfield got knocked around some. And uh, I, on a skit, you know, how do you feel that they've done? Do you think that they... They added a good foundation via free agency in terms of, you know, upgrading the talent. I think what they did is, is they went after it and they went hard for brand names. Um, they did it through free agency. They did it through the draft here. But the other thing is, is they've got these guys in here on free agency and almost all of them. And even like I said with Conklin, the deal, the way it's written, it could be a one-year deal. It could be a three-year deal. 
They were smart where they got these guys. It's like, look, it's going to be 2020. If it works out, we'll sit down again and then we'll revisit these deals. And if, if it's good and it worked out well, we'll do this again with you and we'll go longer with it. The Browns right now still have the most cap space in the NFL after putting together a really, really nice run through free agency. Um, it, it, uh, they took some gambles on guys with health. Carl Joseph is one. Andrew Billings is one. If they can show to be healthy, can show to be functional players that work within the system, then let's go sit down at the end of the season here and talk about giving you guys a little bit more of longevity with these contracts. There are all these guys, most of them are at the ages where you're okay with it. It's not like these veterans that are getting signed now where it's 32, 33, and it's, you know, one year deals when it starts to get that way once you hit that certain mark for positional age. Um, so I think they did a really, really, really smart job where they put themselves in a great position for 2020, but they also put themselves in a great position for the 2021 offseason. And I think that's the part that's impressed me most because when you see first-time front offices and obviously a brand-new GM, first-time here, 33 years old, Andrew Barry, first-time head coach and Kevin Stefanski, obviously you want to make your mark, but you also don't want it to just – blow up in your face. You want longevity to it. You can't just look at it season to season. You have to look at it from this season to next season. You plan on being wherever you are for five, six, hopefully 10, 12, 15 seasons. And I think through just three months of work here, they put themselves in a great, great position for 2020 and a great, great position for 2021. All right. Now let's, uh, if I can, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Giants just to kind of fill you in on what they did in free agency. The Giants, two of their biggest, actually all of their biggest signings on the defensive side of the ball. The Giants defense last year had a lot of youth and uh, some schemes that just left you scratching your head as to what exactly they were being taught in the classroom and just what it is they were trying to do. So the Giants basically scrapped the entire coaching staff. They brought in Patrick Graham, who was the defensive coordinator down in Miami. And with them, they also signed uh, James Bradbury, who is a young cornerback, but not too young. He, he's been around a little bit, and he's going to kind of take the place of Janoris Jenkins, who was jettisoned last year after you know the unfortunate incident with, with a poor choice of words. But um, that's going to be interesting because that now bumps, I think, Sam Beal out of the starting lineup. The Giants were hoping that Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker would be their starting cornerbacks. That's not going to happen now. I think it's going to be DeAndre Baker and James Bradbury, even though, you know, just to, to preface that, uh, head coach Joe Judge has said that right now the depth chart is not set. No starting jobs have been decided, um, but I think he, he probably has a good idea who is going to run with the ones and so forth. So Sam Beal will get bumped down to um, the uh, probably the slot cornerback competition where they're going to have a lot of competition there. And we'll talk more about that, obviously, uh, when we get to the draft in just a moment. The other big signings for the Giants on defense were a pair of linebackers. They brought in two guys who Patrick Graham had worked with over in in um sorry in uh Green Bay in 2018 and that being Kyler Fackrell who's an outside linebacker and inside linebacker Blake Martinez. Martinez of course um he had his best season for Graham. Uh I think he had a career high in tackles in 2018. 
kind of dropped off a little bit because they changed his role to to more of a cleanup t- uh, type of role. But uh, Martinez reuniting with Graham to at the Giants to hopefully recapture that 2018 magic. And same thing with Kyler Fackrell. Now, it's interesting because Kyler Fackrell had double-digit sacks in 2018, but yet Green Bay had gone out and they had signed some new guys, uh, Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. And um, so Fackrell kind of, you know, saw his uh, snaps drop off somewhat. So they're bringing in Fackrell on a one-year prove-it deal, very similar to what they did with Marcus Golden last year. And Marcus Golden, of course, rewarded them with a a double-digit sack performance. And they're hoping for the same thing from Fackrell uh, this year. And speaking of Marcus Golden, um, just when we thought he might be done with the team, the Giants did use the the seldom used uh, UFA tender uh, recently, which basically means that if Marcus Golden does not sign anywhere uh, before July 22nd or the start of the first NFL training camp, whichever comes later, the Giants can get him back for 110% of what he made last year, which basically boils down to a bargain for New York. And, you know, it was a smart move and a crafty move. It was a typical type of Patriots move, which has people wondering, you know, just how much more involved is Joe Judge with personnel and whatnot. So those were the big moves made by the Giants on the defensive side of the ball. Now on offense, the moves were maybe a little bit more of a supporting nature. They brought in tight end Levine Toloyo from uh, San Francisco, who had also played college ball at Stanford. Now, this the reason why I mention that is because last year the Giants picked up Caden Smith off the waiver wire from the 49ers, who also played his college ball at Stanford. And over at Sports Illustrated, of which uh, the site I write for, GiantsCountry.com, is, a, is part of that network, we recently unveiled, you know, the various schools that produce the best college prospects at each position. And sure enough, Stanford was deemed a tight end university. So uh, so that was significant for the Giants. And then finally, they brought in offensive tackle uh, Cam Fleming from the Cowboys. Now, obviously, a Jason Garrett, Mark Colombo move. Uh, Cam Fleming gives the Giants something that I've been screaming about for years, and that is a, a quality veteran who can play left or right tackle and back up the two starters. So the Giants moves, you know, very interesting. And there were, you know, there were some other moves, uh, but those were the main ones that, you know, are worth mentioning. And the Giants really, really went to work on the depth. And I, I just think that, you know, on paper, they've improved their ball club. It was an interesting all season for, for the Giants because, uh, you know, as my Browns fans know, Patricia, as you know, I am a New Jersey resident. So obviously, you know, what's going on with the New York Giants, New York Jets, it, it's hard to avoid. And obviously, you know, being the football guy I am, I go ahead and check it out. Um, Bradbury, obviously, you know, that was one of Dave Gettleman's gems when he was down in Carolina. Did a fantastic job finding James Bradbury out of a smaller school. He kind of came in and kinda, he was the one that bumped George, Josh Norman out of Carolina. Um, it's free agency here, a uh, whole new world down in Carolina. Gets himself an opportunity here with the Giants here. Gets played a, bit, makes it a little bit on a bigger stage here, you know, in New York, the spotlight and the more primetime games for the Giants. Um, Sam Deal, yeah, look, what you're looking for in this day and age, and you look at these final scores of 41-38, you want to solidify your coverage here. So if Baker, Bradbury, Deal, these guys are all going to battle it out for playing time, 
that's what you want here. You want the best possible coverage unit you can get. So they did a really, really good job there. Um, we'll get some more, you know, through the draft here on the linebacker position, but they obviously the Giants felt this was a big, big need, whether it's back or whether it's Blake Martinez. And this is where we started to learn about this, you know, Browns wise is, you know, because all these free agent linebackers went off the board and the Browns let two go. They didn't sign anybody. And that's when we started to, you know, essentially read the tea leaves, you know, that this wasn't for them. But obviously for the Giants, they're still putting a honus and an emphasis on the linebacker position. The golden thing with the UFA tag, I got to be honest, when it first came down, I was like, all right, well, who's making this up? Where did this come from? Because as long as I've been around the game, the following game, I cannot remember another instance where this is used. And, you know, hey, what does, it, what does it say to Marcus Golden? Hey, we value. We value a lot. We're going to pay you a lot of money if it comes down to this. Obviously, we're having a hard time figuring it out here. So you have the open market to explore your deal. If you can get better, so be it. You know where we stand. We're willing to commit to you for this year for a good amount of money. So that's worked out well. And it's funny you brought up the Stanford tight ends because, obviously, Austin Hooper, part of that group as well. So, you know, obviously Stanford tight ends, these guys click, they're intelligent, and these guys, most of them are big, they're agile, um, they're strong. I mean, these these guys aren't built like your normal tight ends. Some of you think these be like big old Southern boys coming out of one of these Texas schools. You wouldn't think so much that they're coming out, you know, of a place like Stanford here. Cam Fleming was a nice little insurance policy. If they didn't go the offensive tackle route that they did, you know, at four overall here, but he's a guy that's going to fit that offensive line, you've got yourself insurance either way here as you know a swing tackle here i think the giants quietly had a really really nice off season and i'm always one to kind of poke the bear at dave gettleman but when we get to this draft talk here dave gettleman had a really really nice off season yes he did and we're going to talk about the draft in the next segment so Giant fans, Brown fans, you are listening to the crossover show featuring Patricia Trainum, that's me, of Locked On Giants, and Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about uh, Built Bar which is our new sponsor. We're really proud to have them as part of our uh, our Locked On family. And right now, for uh for the month of May, there's a special offer running. Um, when you use the code locked on at builtbar.com, you can get $10 off your first box. And they have so many different flavors. My goodness, I was looking at the list before. So many flavors, both nut and nut free. And the best thing about it is if you have a sweet tooth like I do, and I, I'm not ashamed to admit it, uh, if you have a sweet tooth, those built bars are covered in 100% milk chocolate. They are really, really good, folks. Um, check them out, and you'll you'll just be amazed at some of the the, the uh, flavors that they have. So check them out, and remember, use the code Locked On to get ten dollars off your first box. Whether it's one particular flavor, whether you customize your box to different flavors, um, Built Bar is making that offer available just to listeners of the Locked On podcast. So check them out. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will talk drafts, so stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, and welcome back, Browns fans. You are listening to the crossover show between the Giants and Cleveland, and I, Patricia Trana, represent the Giants, and Jeff Lloyd, my fellow New Jerseyan, uh, is, is representing the Browns, and we're talking some football here. You know, the draft is over, and uh, we have a better idea of how these rosters look, and 
you know, speaking of the draft in segment two, we are going to talk about what each team did in the draft. And Jeff, it's, if it's okay with you, let me start with the Giants since we kind of ended off, off with your thought about Dave Gettleman and, and, and the draft. So, and then we'll flip over to the Browns. Now, I got to tell you, I was a little surprised with what the Giants did because A, I didn't think they were going to keep all 10 picks, number one. And B, I thought they might address certain skill positions. What the Giants ultimately ended up doing, and in retrospect, it probably, in my opinion, was not a bad move. But what they did was they basically focused on their three biggest areas of weakness last year. And those, of course, were the defensive backfield, where they had, you know, a lack of depth, uh, or not a lack of depth, uh, rather a lack of experience, and they just didn't have the pieces they need. They tried to uh, plug in the free safety with uh, 35-year-old Antoine Bethea. That unfortunately didn't work. Um, They didn't really have a slot cornerback that was consistent, so they added some depth there. And then they also beefed up their linebackers, both on the outside, the edge rushers, and in particular on the inside. So that was a big move. Then the big thing, the one that I've been screaming about for God knows how long, the offensive line. The Giants added not one, but two offensive tackles. First round pick, Andrew Thomas, which was the pick that I thought would be the best uh, fit for the Giants going into two weeks uh, before the draft. I was, I was, uh, picking him as my mock draft uh, first round pick. And then they added UConn's Matt Pert to potentially be the right tackle down the line. Now, whether or not he becomes the starter this year or he's a one-year project, that remains to be seen. But he'll compete with Cameron Fleming and Nick Gates for that right tackle spot. The other position that they uh, addressed is interior with Shane Lemieux out of Oregon. Now, what's interesting there is Shane Lemieux was a left guard for the Ducks. And the Giants, they're pretty much set at guard. They have Will Hernandez, third-year player, and a guy who you know very well, Jeff, uh, (laughs) Kevin Zeitler, who is entering his second year with the Giants. So they're pretty set at guard. But the one position the Giants really aren't set long-term is at center. John Jalapio, they're... they're, uh, incumbent last year is still recovering from a a ruptured Achilles. And, um, you know, they have Spencer Pulley. He is under contract and he's the guy who I still think is going to be the starter this year by default, only because he's got the experience and, you know, you just don't have any other guys that have that experience and you have a still relatively inexperienced quarterback behind him, a guy who's entering his second year. So it just makes too much sense in my mind not to have Spencer Pulley start. But Shane Lemieux is a guy who can potentially shape into that that long-term answer at center. Now, I had a chance to speak with his position coach, Eric, Alex Mirabal, for a Q&A that I posted on GiantsCountry.com, which is the site I write for. And um, we were talking about the, the benefits that uh, Lemieux brings to an offensive line. We're talking a very smart player, a guy who is very proactive, who's an alpha dog, which is what you want in the pit, and a guy who just is not going to be bullied. He's going to do the bullying for his uh, teammates. And I, I got to think if, if if 
if Saquon Barkley, you know, followed that draft, I got to think he was probably going to bed smiling after that haul of offensive linemen, especially considering how Saquon Barkley had to literally fight and scratch and claw for every one of his 1,003 yards he got last year. So overall, a pretty solid draft class on paper for the Giants. Not a receiver amongst them, which was a surprise. No tight ends, which was also a surprise. Um, I thought maybe they go, would go for a young running back late in the draft. That didn't happen. So three positions and the three biggest weaknesses on the team last year. Also, the three spots that happen to be coached by either former NFL players or former college players. You know, the Giants defensive backfield um, that added Xavier McKinney, a guy whom I'm really excited about. I mean, I was looking at his versatility and all the people who were screaming about, you know, uh, Isaiah Simmons not coming to the Giants. Folks, Xavier McKinney, I think, can, can bring some of that versatility that Simmons could bring. But anyway, the Giants defensive backfield coached by former NFL defensive back Jerome Henderson, the offensive line formerly co uh, coached by uh, Mark Colombo, who, of course, was an NFL offensive tackle, and the linebacker group, especially the inside linebacker group, coached by Kevin Shearer, who was an college tight end, I believe. Um, I forget what school, but I know he played a uh, tight end. So just just a very strategic and, and uh, move by Dave Gettleman and putting together a solid draft class at an area to fortify the most the biggest weaknesses on this team. The thing for me, which was most interesting in watching it here, and, you know, I felt New York Giants should say they were in the position where it was, hey, this is a great tackle class. We're going to be in the position to take the best tackle. Part of me in the back of my head was, you know, Dave Gettleman and his, you know, adoring and looking at big major athletes. And Isaiah Simmons was there. And, I did, you know, it, it, for, look, Isaiah Simmons is a fantastic athlete, great player. I didn't think it was the biggest need for the Giants. Look, if you want Daniel Jones to succeed, you want to put a plus offensive line out there. That's the best thing you can do for a young quarterback. And when that name came off, Andrew Thomas and me and, you know, all my friends and followers, you know, some texts came back and forth and it was like, wait, I think Dave Gettleman's getting it. I think he's building foundation over building stars. And Andrew Thomas, you know, the Browns can say whatever they want after the player they selected. I know Andrew Thomas was their number one tackle off the board. Andrew Thomas, it was the weirdest draft scenario I've ever seen because here was a guy, the entire process through the season, the college season, Andrew Thomas is the best tackle in America. Yeah, it's a great class. Andrew Thomas is the best guy. And then it was, uh, maybe not as we get to the combine and this guy might be a little more athletic. And then when all the dust settled, guess what? Andrew Thomas still was the best tackle in the nation, was the best tackle in the draft process, and he went four overall. Fantastic selection there in Andrew Thomas. Um, Matthew Pert, uh, Pert, who we talked about, obviously Bronx native, came with a bas basketball background. I got to know him a little bit through the process. Um, from my high school, one of you know, Matt's teammates up at UConn, he's a kid I know, a kid I'm familiar with. We talked about him. Um, maybe it's going to take a little time where he's in a perfect spot here. It's going to give him some time to gel, gel, get comfortable within an NFL locker room. You get Xavier McKinney where you got him. And this was, you know, the safety class. I think everybody thought the safety class was pretty good. Um, but when you have so many people, you know, assessing draft talent and you say, hey, well, who's your best, sa your favorite safety in the class? And you talk to six, seven people and maybe you get four to five different names over who's the best safety in the class. It, it, it turns a light on for you. It tells you that there's probably not going to be a safety that goes round one. 
Because if I hear so many different people say, this is the best safety in the class, or this is, or this is, or this is, if it's not a consensus consensus on who is the best positional player at a group, it maybe tells you that maybe there's not going to be a round one guy there. But you saw that this group was valued at the safety position because once round two opened up for business, they started popping off the board here. And a bunch of great players, obviously the Browns got one, uh, Xavier McKinney, um, versatility. I, I think he's better in and around the line of scrimmage. And I think he's going to be a really, really, really solid player that folks in MetLife are going to grow to love. And it's been a while. And I think you can pair him perfectly with Jabril Peppers because I think they both do multiple things well. And you want, you want that versatility. And you also want quarterbacks, offense coordinators. You want people basically on their toes, not exactly, not exactly sure what the defense is doing. And I think you're going to get that with McKinney and pairing him with Peppers. Obviously, we just got his you know, 50-year option picked up from the Giants here. But the Giants put together a really, really solid draft class. And, you know, are there more people on the offensive line than necessarily you would need? Sure. But you want competition. That's what breeds guys ready to go week one in the NFL season. And you get to dress, you know, you have 55 essentially now on your overall roster here. So it, it, there's no harm in it. And guess what? If a guy like even Cam Fleming, it doesn't work out for him here, guys are going to get injured. You could move that, get an asset, get a future pick for it here. They put together a really nice offseason, and I really, really like what the Giants did with their draft class. Yes, indeed, and that's some good points there. I mean, Dave Gettleman focused, and he he addressed the biggest weaknesses. Now, there's still going to be a lot of competition. You know, there are still some un- some answers that we don't yet know. For example, will Andrew Thomas start on the right side or will he go to the left side and will they move Nate Solder over to the to the other side? We also don't know how the, the picture with the linebackers is necessarily going to play out. A lot of the linebackers they took were in the sixth and seventh round. What about at slot cornerback, which is such a key p- position that, as I mentioned, just doesn't have an answer to, uh, at least not yet. So there's going to be competition there. Really a good job. And, and I'll tell you, after years of seeing the Giants drafts disintegrate and disappoint, it's nice to see Gettleman put the priority on drafting from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. So just to really, you know, on paper, um, you know, I I know it's premature and, and probably foolish to give a grade, but I think Gettleman did a really, really good job with this, a very critical draft class that really, you know, he needed to hit a home run on and, and the potential's there, but obviously we won't know until we see them on the field. And uh, hopefully we will get to see them on the field at some point this year. So let's now swing it over to the Browns. Now you guys picked up an offensive tackle in this class, a guy who was uh, at, at one point mentioned to be going to the Giants because of the Nick Saban connection. Um, well, and just one more thing here. Um, look, I, you know, you get to the point here with Dave Gettleman. If he's drafting top ten again for a third year, then you get quite, you, you get nervous about whether or not Dave Gettleman's going to be the one making those selections. Will Dave Gettleman be there? So he put together a great offseason for himself. Obviously, it'll all come down to the field here, um, you know, on the field stuff. Now, the Browns were put in a, a good position here. Obviously, Andrew Thomas went at four here, but there were still three, and there was that top four tier of offensive tackles. Now, Jedrick Wills, look, you can say whatever you want, a fantastic player, great player. He hasn't played the left side here, 
and he's going to play the left side here for the, for the Cleveland Browns. So that's going to cause you some hesitation. He had a relationship with Joe Thomas before the draft. You know, they've, they've talked after where you know, Joe said, look, anything you need, young man, give me a call. We'll talk about it. We'll work through it, whether it's Zoom sessions, this, that, and the other thing. But Cedric Wills, he comes from a pedigree. Obviously, he played extremely well at Alabama. One sack allowed over two years as a starting offensive tackle for one of the elite programs in the nation. So I'm for it. He moves well. And that was the thing. All, all of these offensive tackles, that top four group, they were all good athletically. They all had good tape. They all had like small marginal questions. Like if you wanted to be the naysayer, that would be, you know, oh, it would be this. For Wills, it was he's never played the left side. Could there be some struggles? Sure, there could. But, you know, everything seems to check out that that's going to be okay. What really impressed me is the Browns had seven picks going into the 2020 NFL draft. Their last pick was a compensatory pick that they got through a trade. Um, so that was going to be, you know, they were going to close it out in the seventh round. They still made seven picks, but they were done in the sixth round. And now they have 10 picks for 2021. So what I talked about earlier about playing the game for now and playing the game for the future, they did a great job there. Once round one was over and these safeties were all available, we talked for 20 hours. Oh, man, Grant Talbot, Grant Talbot, here's a guy with the pedigree. Not only did the Browns get him, they had pick 41. They were able to trade down to 41, 44, add a little more draft capital, and still get their guy. Like They, they were able to show that they could play the draft game. And Grant Delpit, you look, he comes here, you know, from LSU. You've got Greedy Williams. You've got Odell. You've got Jarvis. They got a little flavor, you know, of, you know, the Bayou Bengals up in Berea, you know, Ohio. So that was really impressive how it worked out. The defensive tackle group, for years, they had, since I've been covering this team, they had their starting defensive tackles. And then there were some guys who wore 90s jerseys and when they were reserves, they never had any depth. Now, they have Sheldon Richardson. They have Larry Ogunjobi. They brought in Andrew Billings at free agent. In free agency. They draft a guy from Jordan Elliott from Missouri. Great athletic player, plays well in the run, plays well as a pass rusher. That was a great get. Jacob Phillips, linebacker, again, out of LSU. He was a player that I had touted for them early, early on in the process. Uh, you know, LSU, obviously, we all saw them in major, major games this year. Team finished 15 and 0. Patrick Queen went around one of the Baltimore Ravens. Jacob Phillips, for me, was the more consistent player over the entire season. Patrick Queen seemed to carry the name. He played really well during the college playoffs. But Jacob Phillips was a guy I liked. Um, solid tackler, only missed, I think it was two tackles in the entire 2019 season. Solid get. And this is where it got a little weird for me. I thought it was going to be a heavy defensive draft because they seemed to have what they needed on offense and defense seemed to be where the holes were. But then players started dropping that they weren't anticipating. Tight end Harrison Bryant out of Florida Atlantic. They really liked him. They like the athleticism. They have that main functional blocker guy. They like these move tight ends. David Njoku here. Um, Harrison Phillips was one that just couldn't turn down. This team is probably going to keep four tight ends, maybe five tight ends on their roster, on their 55-man roster. Harrison Bryant is a guy here. Doesn't come. He comes in with not a lot of pressure. He can easily, slowly transition transition into this team here as a receiver. The blocking is obviously going to need a little work here. So you're not putting too much on this young man so early. Um, Nick Harris out of Washington. Nick Harris is, and Pat, you'll probably appreciate this. He's kind of built like like a like a bouncer at a New Jersey nightclub. He's he's a little bit shorter. He's stocky. He's thick, but he's a tough son of a gun, and he can move again with this this premise of what they want on the offensive line. They want offensive linemen who can move. 
So the fact that he's only six foot one can probably be kind of disregarded with the system the Browns are going to run this year. He's traditionally a center. Right now, the Browns have the NFL Players Association president at their center, and J.C. Treader just signed a contract late in the 19th season. So there's not room for him there. But the Browns have a competition going in at right guard, whether it's Wyatt Teller, whether it's Drew Forbes. Harris is going to be able to jump into that. It could be the future center of this Cleveland Browns roster. Donovan Peoples-Jones, when you get an athlete and a playmaker with the pedigree of Donovan Peoples-Jones and the test, I mean, his testing was off the charts here. When you get a guy like this in the sixth round, he usually comes from some small, tiny school that maybe some folks haven't heard of. Donovan Peoples-Jones went to Michigan. He's an extremely bright kid. His father's an orthopedic surgeon. This is something he wishes to do one day. He went to Michigan. The three years at Michigan just never went right. The quarterback was the only person from the combine until today who wasn't on an NFL roster. Shea Patterson finally got to an NFL team in the Kansas City Chiefs. So Donovan Peoples-Jones went there as a part of a huge, regarded, nationally recruiting class. But Jim Harbaugh just didn't get everything else in place. Now, you get this here. He can come learn from Odell Beckham Jr. He can come learn from Jarvis Landry. He's got all the athletic traits in the world one would want. He's a plus returner here. That was a really, really nice get with your last pick in the draft here. And, you know, normally six-round picks, you know, it's a 50-50 if they're going to make it here. But with his return skills, with the fact his athletic pedigree is off the charts as an athlete here, this is somebody you can slowly groom. And if he truly takes to it, that's great. But if he doesn't, it's okay. It was a six-round pick. Yeah, I mean, I I thought overall, uh, and based on just watching with the Browns and how they kind of shaped up, I thought Andrew Berry had a pretty good first draft. I mean, I I don't know how you felt uh, his first draft went, but um, hey, you got to start someplace. And I think the important thing for the Browns is now they have to start getting some continuity. And and here's, here's the problem with the Browns, and I'm sure you'll agree with me. The fact that they keep changing out GMs and head coaches and quarterbacks, you know, now they've had some stability, obviously, with, uh, you know, with Baker Mayfield, but they need to kind of settle in and stay on one path and just kind of have a vision and not keep, you know, splintering off. Oh, we, you know, we screwed up. So let's undo everything we did previously and, and, and start all over. I think that's hurt the Browns probably more than anything over the last few years. And that has been the most refreshing part of this three and a half months now of this new regime, whether it's Andrew Barry talking, whether it's Paul DePodesta talking, whether it's Kevin Stefanski talking. I mean, you can close your eyes and you know the voices, you know they're different. They all speak the same and they will speak as strongly as about the 52nd player on this roster as they will about the first player on this roster. And it's all about you know, unity and this is our vision and this is what we want to do. And, you know, obviously the Browns had had this analytic group that they were trying to get more out of. But then when they made the switch and, you know, John Dorsey was the GM that wasn't going to work with an older traditional GM. Now you have this group and all of these guys, that it doesn't seem like the yes, um, you know, and nobody knows anything until, you know, obviously, you know, you end up one and three, you'll see where everybody's at, but everybody's on the same page. They all speak the same. They all talk the same, you know, what they, what they put as far as a premise on, it's all the same from everybody right now. 
And I think for you know me covering this team, for all these Browns fans, I think that is what's exciting the most is at least I'm hearing a unified front. None of it's going to matter until it comes to wins and losses. But people are thrilled that it seems that for finally, forever, and I said this after you know Freddie was gone and John Dorsey was gone, I don't care if you tell me the theory is we're going to blindfold ourselves and throw a dart, and whatever it hits, that's going to be our decision. At least it was a plan. But now there's really, really intelligent guys with a plan in place here, and they don't seem like the type of guys who are going to waver from you know, what they have put into place. They are not going to be so quick to pull the eject button, so to speak. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all comes together. Now, before we jump to the next segment, let's just quick um, uh, talk about between the draft and between free agency, where the remaining needs are, and then we'll get into matchups for when the two teams meet, you know, in the third segment. So for the Giants, what I would like to see them add is another receiver. Um, they have three good receivers. Don't get me wrong. In in Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton. What makes me nervous about receiver is it's is that uh, Sterling Shepard had concussion issues last year, and I am concerned that if he takes one more blow to the head, that's it for him. So I, I would have liked to have seen them add some depth at that spot, and they did add some undrafted free agents to compete for you know, the fourth and fifth spots. Corey Coleman is also coming back, a former Browns uh, first-round pick. So that was a position I was kind of surprised that they didn't add. And, you know, I know some people say, well, what about pass rusher? Pass rusher, you know, what? they're, they're going to generate that through the scheme. I've been saying that now just for the longest time. It's It's virtually impossible for them at this stage of the game to go out and realistically get three guys, you know, a.k.a. a stray hand tuck and a humaniora, like what they had back in the good old days. So I'm not as concerned about that as I am about, um, you know, the offensive side of the ball. Are they going to have enough at receiver? I mean, but overall, I think the Giants, again, on paper, significantly improved. Um, what about you as far as the Browns are concerned? It still drives me just a little bit crazy. Um and maybe it's because I'm a little bit older. The linebacker is, was always like the key to defense. Um, you, you had your pass rushers, you know, if you had good corners, you had great safeties, all that stuff. But the, it was the linebacker play. Um, right now, there's you know two second year players in Mac Wilson, Sione Taki Taki. Um, you know, as I mentioned, they drafted Jordan Phillips out of LSU. They brought in BJ Goodson. But I just look at that unit and I look at the amount of money that they still have cat wise. And I was a huge Joe Schobert guy. All my listeners know this. He was like plug and play. He'll play 16 games a year. He'll be your leading tackler. He is the guy when anybody's confused, they kind of peek over. Joe, is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this where I'm supposed to be lined up? And I'm Joe, I got the back out, right? The guy going to the flat. That's my. So it, it, it's weird to see this regime where, you know, because I, I, what I believe the theory is, is, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to do everything we can to stop the run on first and 10. And we're hope our thought process is we're going to do really well with that. And then guess what? Second and eight, we're throwing six defensive backs on the field anyway, so we don't care about it. They're going to play a bunch of defensive backs. But for me, you know, in the older heart of me, it still feels really, really strange that linebacker isn't really valued. And I look at the guys are going to trot out there, 
and you know maybe Nigel Bradham, you know, veteran guy. He's got some presence here. He doesn't really have any ties to this organization. Maybe a guy like him. He does have a little bit of injury history, but it does it does seem a little weird to me that like they look at this linebacker unit with the amount of cap space they have and say, you know, this is good enough. We're good to go. All right. So on that note, let's take our final break. When we come back, we're going to talk the matchup. Now, as we record this, folks, we the schedule is due out during the week. Um, it could be out as early as Wednesday, but I think it's going to be out probably later in the week. So we don't know the exact date, but we know that the Giants and the Browns are going to square off. So when we come back, we will talk matchups. So stay with us. Welcome back, Giant fans, and welcome back, Browns fans. Patricia Trana here with you from the Locked on Giants podcast and Jeff Lloyd from the Locked on Browns podcast. And we are doing a crossover show in which uh, all the NFL team hosts are getting together. They're pairing up over the next you know, two weeks, and we're talking about the non-division opponents that we will be facing. We're comparing what they did in the offseason and free agency in the draft, and then we're boiling it down to an early look at the the matchup. And uh, Jeff, I got to start off with the guy who's going to probably bring the most amount of attention, Odell Beckham Jr. versus that Giants defensive secondary. I mean, Beckham, he's going to be coming in here with a chip on his shoulder, probably the size of, you know, Mount Rushmore, I would think. Um, and it's funny, uh, you know, obviously o- Odell with the injuries he had last year still looked at the 1,000-yard mark. And I think the thing that was impressive was there was a bunch of guys that were borderline could have checked out once the writing was on the wall that, you know, last season was not going to be a playoff season. Um, I think maybe that's where Odell and Jarvis are good for each other because Jarvis could have been one too. Um, with his hip injury, um, he ended up actually playing in the Pro Bowl and then still had hip surgery. Um, hoping to obviously have him for camp. Um, Odell's already been back to the stadium once, uh, 2019, the Monday night game with the Jets. Um, and we talked about this when we talked in January. We have a good feeling this, we think this somehow, some way is going to be a primetime game. Uh, there is no doubt. Um, you know, and it's, it, 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 it can, everybody can say at the end of the day, oh, we're better off. You know, things worked out better for us. But you're an athlete, you know, you're fueled, you know, even if it's not there, you're going to find something to use as fuel to get the job done for the day. Um, I'm sure Odell is waiting for that schedule to drop. Um, and the funniest thing is as quick as things turn around in the NFL, he's going to be looking across at those secondary guys going, well, who are you? I mean, just think about what we talked about. Bradbury, uh, Beal, DeAndre Baker. He's going to be looking at these cornerbacks with vengeance in his eyes. And these guys were never even there when he played for the Giants. <laughs> so it's just funny from that aspect. Um, but it, you know, definitely looking forward to that. And obviously, you know, Baker, jo- uh, Baker Mayfield and the Daniel Jones comment, that type of thing here. The fact that Freddie Kitchens is going to be on the sidelines for the Giants. It's going to be fun here. And for us, Patricia, we should have already been talking about OTAs. Uh, the Jets, uh, Giants with the new co- coaching staff, the Browns with the new coaching staff two weeks ago. These guys should have been on the field already. Um, so it's going to be key for both these franchises how quickly they can hit the ground running with not much familiarity between the coaching staff and the players. That's going to be a really, really difficult thing here. And I'm sure for you guys, just like us, we're hoping the way the schedule breaks, some of these easier opponents are coming in week one, week two, or week three. Yes, indeed. And another matchup that I know I am looking forward to 
is going to be the Browns edge rushers versus the Giants offensive tackles, which will probably, like I said before, include Andrew Thomas. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not sure how, you know, the Browns are going to deploy their pass rushers. Are they going to keep them to one side? Are they going to mix and match or, or you know, h- however they're going to do it. But um, the Giants offensive line last year, allowed the third most quarterback pressures, total pressures in the NFL. And the Browns have a pretty good pass rush. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, if it's early in the season, you know, Andrew Thomas, you know, that's great. Here you go. Congratulations, rookie. Here's Miles Garrett, one of the most athletic freak of nature pass rushing defensive ends to come out in the last two years. Uh, Olivia Verdon, slow, steady. And the, the thing about their interior defensive tackle, the interior defensive line, these guys can all get after it. Sheldon Richardson can attack from there. So can Larry Okunjobi. Uh, Jordan Elliott, like I mentioned earlier, the draft choice here. They can bring rush from several avenues along that defensive line. And that's what you're going to need to do, though, because you know what you saw with Baker Mayfield in year two, there was too much pass rush, caused too much chaos, threw him off his timing. And, you know, for the Giants, they don't want that for Daniel Jones. They don't, you know, you want to keep him as comfortable as possible. And it's great that he always has a safety valve like Saquon Barkley, who's incredible and as amazing as he is. But when these plays are drawn up, they're drawn up for 15, 20 yard completions. They're not drawn up for, oh, all right, well, this plays the crap. Just, you know, dumping on out to Saquon. Um, you're going to, you know, for the Giants, you're going to start limiting what Saquon's got to do. But yes, it's great, but you also don't want to burn him into the ground. So, yes, but for the offensive line, and I do believe, you know, like you said, the amount of sacks, you know, the pressures they gave up, they hit this positional group hard, smartly so, to put yourself in the best position, because all of this right now is about the best way for Daniel Jones to succeed. And I think they've done a really, really good job with that part so far. What about you, Jeff? What matchups are you looking forward to seeing? I'm now for me, like, you know, you brought up Odell. I'm looking at it from the other end of the spectrum. Obviously, you know, Bradbury's probably seen him here. But you look at Beal, you look at DeAndre Baker. And even though Odell over the last couple of years, the injuries, he hasn't been the guy he is yet. You're getting some of these young guys coming to the league. They know who the guy is. They know the number. They know the player. So it's going to be fun seeing, you know, those guys get to get their teeth wet. I mean, you basically get their feet wet against somebody like that, so to speak, here. But I do also wonder who's going to handle the tight ends here. Austin Hooper obviously put up really, really good receiving numbers last year. David, last couple of years. David Njoku last year was essentially a wash for him after breaking his wrist in week two. Then the old staff kind of just put him in the doghouse. But he had almost 60 receptions in 2018. He runs a 4-5. He's a ridiculous athlete. David Njoku, on any given play where he's on the field, he's going to be the fourth option. If Kareem Hunt's on the field, he's going to be the fifth option as far as pass plays. It's going to be really interesting how teams and the Giants can handle this tight end duo that they're putting out and putting out on the field, keeping in mind that you have Landry and Beckham on the outside. Yeah. Uh, you ask who's going to cover the tight ends. The Giants put an emphasis on adding speed in the second level there. They have guys who can turn and who should be able to run and keep up with tight ends. Now they've been trying to do this for a number of years. And uh, as I said before, with the draft picks, most of those picks, actually all of those draft picks are sixth and seventh rounders. So they're counting on 
guys like Fackrell to turn to be able to turn and run. And then um, they also have Jabril Peppers and Xavier McKinney, who I'm sure they will bring down to to cover the t- the tight ends because hey, the tight ends have absolutely destroyed the Giants defense for I don't know how many years now. I've lost track. That's how long it's been. So <laughs> so that is definitely going to be a key matchup, I think. I think another key matchup for the Giants is going to be the pass rush and in getting to Baker Mayfield, would you say? Yeah, well, I mean, look, uh, you, you know what you have in Conklin? The two holes right now, look, right guard, you're still not sure of. Left tackle, look, these, these all sound fantastic, but you still got to go out and prove it. Um, <clears throat> so you're going to have to see what Cedric Wills can do, and obviously going from the right side to the left side. And everybody, oh, it's so easy, it's so easy. And one thing we tell everybody on our show is, all right, well, if you're a righty, go spend tomorrow being a lefty. You know, cook your breakfast, make your sandwich, brush your hair, brush your teeth, shave if you're a guy. Do everything with the opposite hand and think how easy it is just to go from one side to the other. Um, so, you know, with Wills, there's going to be that, you know, predepidation about how easily can it come to him? You know, can he take it like a fish to water here? So that's going to be a big concern. Then the other thing, you know, for the Giants is, I mean, for the for the Browns is, you know, I don't know exactly what the game plan would be for Saquon Barkley because look, he's he's just an absolute. He's pretty similar to Miles Garrett, where he's just a genetic freak at the position here. And I guess it doesn't matter if they don't have linebackers because not many linebackers in the NFL can run with them anyway, Pat. No, indeed. And let's speaking of which, let's hope that this coaching staff uses Saquon Barkley a little better than the previous staff did, where I keep telling people that, yes, Saquon Barkley out in space was a mismatch. And people are like, well, how come the giant coaching staff never used him that way? I don't have any answers to that. Other, I mean, <laughs> nothing that I can repeat, obviously, but um, that's going to be key. And that's going to be, I think, something Hopefully, we see a big change in terms of philosophy. Now, we've been looking at uh, how Jason Garrett and the Cowboys offenses have run um, during his tenure for clues on what he might do with the Giants. But, you know, it's different talent. It's it, it's a different set of skills and, and uh, different philosophies that are all going to mesh together. And, and it's uh, certainly going to be interesting to see how they all bring it together. So, um, Jeff, what other... Uh, matchups might you be looking forward to when the Giants meet the Browns at MetLife Stadium? Um, well, it'd be interesting to see, you know, Jabril Peppers again, uh, you know, uh, you know, part of the, you know, the deal that brought, you know, Odell um, to see Kevin Zeitler here. And, you know, it'll be, you know, either Zeitler on Sheldon Richardson or Larry Ogunjobi, who he knows, or a couple of younger players. And, you know, obviously Kevin, just established veteran, strong physical presence, you know, not the guy who's the most agile in the world, but, you know, you better bring a lunch pail because it's going to take you a couple of days to get past him. He's just that strong and confident in what he does and how he handles the position. So it's going to be fun to see those guys. And these were guys we didn't want to see leave the Browns. You know, what it's done is done at the end of the day. But getting to see players like Jabril and Kevin Zeitler again is certainly something I know Browns fans are looking forward to. All right, definitely. And, you know, again, let's hope that somehow there there's some kind of games. Um, I don't know if it'll necessarily be played in front of fans, but uh, certainly I know uh, the NFL is hoping to be able to get their schedule off and, and uh, have something 
anything so that sports can come back. But as you mentioned at the top of the program, the important thing is that everybody stay safe out there and listen to the guidelines that are being uh, suggested by health officials and government officials that, you know, we might not like them, but they are for our own good. And I know I, for one, is, even though I, I hate the fact that I've been, I haven't left my house since March. Um, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm keeping being a good girl and doing what, what's being asked of me. And, and, you know, just hopefully it'll all pay off. At, but when it's all said and done, so all right, giant fans and Brown fans that will do it for this extended crossover show we hope you enjoyed it jeff and i always get together and uh we we try to be as thorough as we possibly can and i jeff i think we did a pretty good job i think we covered just about everything from soup to nuts here uh well there's you know if you want to get two jersey people together you understand that the conversation (laughs) is going to go a little longer and yeah i think eh, no stones no stones going to be unturned well anyway it was always it was a blast uh speaking with you and i know we will talk again we will obviously um you know maybe touch base in the summertime and if you know again if there's a season we'll have the crossover show when we have a little better idea of what the rosters will look like the 53-man rosters and whatnot so giant fans and brown fans jeff and i want to thank you for tuning in and sticking with us during these times we hope you enjoyed the show and we hope you will tune in the rest of the week as we continue our various crossover shows with the other hosts of the locked on NFL Network. For Jeff Lloyd, I am Patricia Trena, and we will talk to you soon.